Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Akash Talks Finance, a weekly podcast series where I try to take books on personal finance and investing and break them down chapter by chapter, lesson by lesson, and understand them and hopefully give you something of value so that you can understand them as well. In this series, we are covering the wonderful book, The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. In this episode, we are covering chapter 11, Reasonable is Greater Than Rational, or it, it is more important to be reasonable than rational, which means it's more important to aim to be mostly reasonable, better than being coldly rational. And I think the first thing that jumps at me um, in the markets is the markets are irrational. So rationality has little place, but being reasonable has a lot at stake. And he opens this chapter by saying, you're not a spreadsheet, you're a person, a screwed up emotional person. It took me a while to figure this out. Once it clicked, I realized it's one of the most important parts of finance. To show you what I mean, let me tell you a story of a guy who tried to cure syphilis with malaria. Julius Wagner Jorek, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm mostly not, so I'm going to stick with his middle name, Wagner, was a 19th century psychiatrist with two unique skills. He was good at recognizing patterns and what others saw as crazy, he found merely bold. What Wagner basically did was he tried to cure one disease by inducing another. And so in this case, he tried to cure syphilis by inducing the patients or forcing the patients to get malaria for which there was a cure. Now, nobody thought of that. He did, and in his quest to actually solve this disease using another, several patients inevitably died because he either gave them a high dose of, of malaria or a low dose of the cure, but he eventually found a midpoint which worked, which worked, and he won the Nobel Prize in medicine in 1927. The organization today notes the main work that concerned Wagner throughout his working life was the endeavor to cure mental disease by inducing a fever. Penicillin eventually made mal malaria therapy, the name given to the, the way he cured the disease, obsolete. But Wagner is one of the only doctors in history who, who not only recognized fever's role in fighting infection, but also prescribed it as a treatment. Now, this speaks very well to the importance of being reasonable over being rational, right? A doctor's goal is not just to cure a disease, is to cure disease within the confines of what's reasonable and tolerable to the patient. Fevers can have marginal benefits in fighting infection. In fact, as the, the, the entire being or the entire bodily reaction of being in a state of fever is your body becomes hot or warm. And that is a signal when your body is fighting away uh, an infection. When I go to the doctor, I go to the doctor to stop hurting. I don't care about double blind studies when I'm shivering under the blanket. If you have a pill that can make a fever stop, give it to me now. And what's the point of this? The point of this is it may be rational to want a, fear, a fever if you have an infection but it's not reasonable, but it is the cure. So the cure is reasonable or it, the cure is being reasonable over being rational. And that points to finance as well. 
Now, academic finance is devoted, devoted to finding the mathematically optimal investment strategy. Many investment managers want the strategy that maximizes for how well they sleep at night over how much of an alpha or an outperformance it might generate. The one way to sleep at night is to minimize the regret of waking up tomorrow or the regret of um, your investment not performing well tomorrow or future regret. A rational investor, Housel says, makes decisions based on numeric facts. A reasonable investor, and this is where we come in, makes them in a conference room surrounded by coworkers you want to think highly of you, with a spouse you don't want to let down or judged against the, against the silly but realistic competitors that are your brother-in-law, your neighbor, and your own personal doubts. Investing has a social component that's often ignored when viewed through a strictly financial lens. And that's where he brings a difference between financial investing and just plain old investing. Financial investing is simply looking at the numbers, seeing a company's performance, seeing their valuation, seeing who owns it, seeing how the market is performing, seeing the growth trends in the industry, seeing the growth trends in the economy, but ignoring everything else, ignoring how you're going to feel on that day when you're making that investment, that trade, ignoring what your uh, motivations are, ignoring what your objectives are. All of these are often ignored. And that's a problem. And this is emphasized very clearly in a 2008 study, which he writes about. A pair of researchers from Yale published a study arguing young savers should supercharge their retirement accounts using a two to one margin, meaning for every dollar you have, you borrow two. That's a two to one margin. And since it's a borrowed uh, um, amount, a borrowed dollar, it's usually in debt. And you need to borrow this amount and buy stocks because they think that the, or they predicted that the market would go up. Therefore, to use borrowed money to pay back a fixed amount is better because you have a significantly more upside. And the study suggested that investors taper their leverage or reduce their leverage from two to one to maybe 1.8 to 1.5 or lower. And this will allow savers to take on more risk when they're young and can handle a magnified market roller coaster and less when they're older. Meaning not just have more equity versus debt in your portfolio, but have more equity at the cost of having more debt in your portfolio and decrease the equity and increase the debt as you go on and on and on uh, until you reach a retirement age. Even, they argued, if using leverage left you wiped out when you were young, the researchers showed that savers would still be better off in the long run. Now that's how math works and that might be true. This was a study conducted in 2008. So the average period should be about 40 years or so. So not, not uh, before 2050. Housel argues, no normal person could watch 100% of their retirement account evaporate and be so unfazed that they carry on with the strategy unchanged. They'd quit, look for a different option and perhaps sue their financial advisor. Imagine if you had 10,000 rupees or one lakh rupees that maybe became 10 lakh rupees in, a, in, in, in maybe a 10 year period or a two year period. But because of a crash like the 2008 financial crisis or what happened during COVID when the market crashed as much as it did, 
Imagine you holding on to your investments. That's a hard ask for anybody, no matter how mathematically savvy they are and no matter how much they have priced in future uncertainty. That is not rational. And it is reasonable to quit and find some other option, as Hausel argues. There is, he says, in fact, a rational reason to favor what looked what looked like an irrational decision. Now, one thing is you love your investments and people often sort of do this, right? They either love their investment theme or their play. They think that electric vehicles are gonna take over the world or they're gonna think that, or they think that cryptocurrencies are the next big thing or they think that everybody's going to be insured or everybody's going to want food delivery um, and they pick their company and their team accordingly. And, and the reasonable investors who love their technically imperfect strategies have an edge because they're more likely to stick with those strategies. If someone is so unemotional with their strategies and they say that, you know what, I'll only pick, I'll pick the companies based on a screener or a filter and anything that goes out of it, I don't really care. I'm going to sell it, right? Those investors, the second group, he says, are the rational investors. They don't have that much amount of imperfect sense to um, quit, right? And, and this is interesting because we usually think that if someone has a play, whether it's an EV play or a crypto play or an insurance play, they are so in love with things that they are blind. And we think on the other side, the people who are tactical, they calculate everything and they have spreadsheets and models and they know by every you know, basis point which strategy is on or off and they can switch from liquid to illiquid, from equity to, de to debt. They, know, they have all these macro factors laid out. The problem with that is, as Hausel argues, one will stick with their EV investments even when you know shit hits the fan. But the others, they know that their models will change and they will act according to those, which may leave them being rational, but not reasonable. And which one do you think you need in the market? This might be an imperfect analogy, but by and large, we live in an imperfect market. And he says the historical odds of making money in the US markets are 50-50 over one day period, which is day trading, 68% in one year, 88% in 10 years, and so far 100% in, in a 20 year period. Making money would mean any amount of money, even if it's a 1% return, right? And it's 100% in a 20 year period, 20, 2000 to 2020, 2020 to 2040, right? In a 20 year period, you're bound to make money. 100% of the people have. And that speaks to the earlier analogy of people holding on. If you hold, if you held on to an imperfect investment strategy at um, the start of the, the century, you would have made some amount of money, even if it was not a lot at the start of the year. If you held on to an index fund, you would have made some amount of money depending on the market. Most markets have. If you would have constantly... Uh, done a lot of permutations and combinations and changes, you might not have because you would make them over a one-day period, which leaves you at a 50-50% chance of success or failure. Or over um, a one-year period, which le leaves you with about a 60-40% chance of failure. 
and and that's that's not something that you would be able to stomach but if you're passionate about a company an industry a sector an asset class the product the team the science whatever the inevitable downtimes when you're losing money or the company needs help are blunted by the fact that at least you feel like you're part of something meaningful right that can be the necessary motivation that prevents you from giving up and moving on and at the end of the day that's what people use the markets for to feed some sort of drive within them whether it's the drive to support a team a tribe a group an industry or whether it's the feeling of prediction right and this is what i never really thought of and maybe you didn't as well lots of people do these predictions and these um uh, um trading strategies that oh this is bound to work oh this is the what the price of this company or that stock or this crypto will be at the end of the year or end of two years or end of five years and um m- m- most people will tell you stay away from the people who think that they they can predict the market but it's all right you know it's all right picking individual stocks day trading is not rational and rational right but it is reasonable if that satisfies an urge within you to have some control over the market to have some control over things that you probably have no control over and if that feeds that thing within you that's okay that's okay and and he says this very 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 succinctly uh, hasel does he he says of a conversation he had with an investor named Josh Brown who advocates and mostly owns diversified funds he once explained to hausel why he also owns a smattering or just a bunch of individual stocks and using sort of a, an investment thesis or analogy saying spray and pray which is just basically get a bunch of money spray it in the market right spray it in like $10 here $20 there or 100 rupees here or 1000 rupees there not really thinking through these where these uh, why why this money is going to this company but just spraying it across a sector or across the market as a whole and just praying that something might go up he says i'm not buying individual stocks because i think i'm going to generate an outperformance i just love stocks and i have since i was 20 years old and it's my money i get to do whatever i want and that's quite reasonable if it satisfies an urge within you go for it right acting on investment forecasts is dangerous right predicting the market is dangerous but i get why people try to predict what will happen next year it's human nature we feel like we want to be in control it's reasonable and it's 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 more important to be reasonable than be rational especially when you're dealing with an irrational being like the market whatever market it is and that's the lesson from this chapter i hope that came across despite my rumblings and ramblings um and i hope this was an educational podcast for you if you do find this educational or helpful in any way even if it's not an investment sort of way please um give me a like share and subscribe can you do that on spotify i'm not sure uh but yeah just uh, share this podcast somewhere and um i have my twitter in the in the description it's 
at Akash Atha, which is A-A-K-A-S-H-A-T-H-A, and also at Akash ATF. Um, you can check either one of them out and hopefully give me a follow. If this was helpful, I thank you. And um, I will see you next time. Mm -hmm.